ladies and gentlemen, uh, brothers and sisters. So Thomas Aquinas, a peaceful life of controversies. This seems to be contradictory, and it's just the intention. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae often is compared with a Gothic cathedral, well reflected in its structure, filigrane but solid. Its author, seen as a friar who in the peace and solitude of his cell composed it and his other works. The comparison with the cathedral is fitting, up to that point that the Summa, like many Gothic cathedrals, is not completely finished. But concerning the author's research during the last 100 years has caused serious doubt. Conceded, St. Thomas Aquinas was not fond of small talk and gossip. But when, as a master, he had secretaries, his work was for the most not solitary, and the words of friendship for his main secretary and socius, Reginald de Prevano, show that he had personal emotional bonds. Nevertheless, many of his writings were not just written in fulfillment of university requirements or patiently answering most diverse questions from kings, princes, bishops, lectors, and students, but show us his position in academic controversies of his time. The testimony of the oldest controversy, this time not academic but spiritual, is to be found in his later writings, especially in a Questio de Quodlibet analyzed by one of my teachers, Ulrich Horst. The young Thomas, as his biographers tell us, after having had elementary instruction at Monte Cassino Abbey and based at the Abbey's house in Naples, studying the arts, that's to say philosophy, at that new university, wanted to enter not the Benedictine, but the Dominican order. Ulrich Hors, researching and collecting what we have from Thomas on such themes, came to the conclusion that just the radical poverty of the new order must have attracted the young student. Saint Dominic had insisted that the severe order nec possessiones nec reditus, neither possessions of land nor income, a fixed income yeah, of money, that the brothers and their priories should have neither such possessions nor fixed income. And this was written in the first constitutions. Accordingly, in the first decennia, Dominican priories owned only their proper buildings, often even not them. Only gradually, the need for study materials became felt, but even here, quaternally, uh, that's to say, uh, note, uh, yeah, not computers, but uh, such things, yeah? uh, notebooks in the old sense of the word, uh, and uh, books uh, were very uh, expensive because uh, made uh, of parchment. In these years of the beginning, Dominicans were often seen as beggars, swerving around different from the ordinary ecclesiastical structure. This consisted of bishops, deans, and parish priests with their churches, competent for a circumscribed district, and of communities of canons and monks with stable residence at one place the famous Stabilitas Logi. So, uh, Thomas uh, entering this order evidently without having asked his family displeased them, and especially his mother, Theodora. And, and on her instigation, his brothers kidnapped him 
and brought him to Monte San Giovanni, a castle of the family. Legends have been formed about the roughly one year of his stay there, from his chasing away a prostitute to his sister Marotta letting him down from the castle's wall in a basket. It seems rather that his family's changing sides from the Emperor Frederick II to Pope Gregory IX uh, was the real background. They had to pay a high price for it. Thomas's brother, Reinald, was decapitated as traitor by the emperor's men, and his oldest brother, Heimo, was exiled. Thomas, in his works, remarkably, did not use the term imperator uh, for, uh, uh, but for examples uh, from ancient times and early Christianity. Still, ten years later, in the second Parisian mendicant controversy, Thomas made the point that a religious vocation has to be followed even against difficulties. Per conculcatem matrem, even step over your mother which may be a personal reminiscence, hopefully not a latterly one. William of Saint-Amour, professor of theology at Paris, saw in his pamphlet, De Periculis Novissimorum Temporum, on the dangers of the newest times, written in 1255-56, the mendicants as an eschatological evil announced by Holy Scripture. The competent expositors of the Bible, the Paris professors, must warn. Christians need to be cautious and not give confidence to the philosophicus ac subtilis disputator. I hope I don't need to translate this. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, who tries to seduce them with sophistical arguments. Those seducers without a legitimate sending, try to undermine ecclesiastical obedience, moral conduct, and true faith by only seeming erudition and piety. These dangerous enemies of the church are among those who dedicate themselves to studies and pretend to follow in their evangelical counsels of highest poverty, chastity, and obedience. Among the 41 signs, how to recognize them is that the true apostles did not come with pleasant and sophisticated words and not with logical and philosophical proofs. William of St. Amour knows what can save the church. Interdict teaching and preaching of the friars and limit them to the traditional monastic handwork. In Thomas's early work, Contra Impugnantes Dei Cultum et Religionem, uh, against those who uh, fight against the veneration of God and uh, the religious, we have in reaction on William of St. Amour's Questio Disputata de Validur Medicante from 1255, some indications of his view of poverty. For the status perfectionis, the state of perfection, it is not sufficient to have an inner distance concerning wealth, but following the example of the apostles, the individual Dominican friar, as well as his community, have to be poor. Whereas secular people may retain not only their clothes and what they need for immediate survival, but also some savings for the future, it is characteristic for the friars to renounce such savings and to trust in God's providence. As long as our soul is bound by caring for possessions and ready it is not free for God. At this time, Thomas was still united with St. Bonaventure in their appraisal of poverty. Later, poverty Uh, in the Franciscan conception became a spiritual perfection in itself, with the consequence that radical Friars Minor claimed it should be an obligation for all Christians 
not only for friars and nuns. Thomas, however, in his Summa Theologiae Secunda Secunde, defined evangelical poverty as instrument of perfection, freeing the friars for God, spiritual perfection being love, and the first line of God, and then also for the humans. Concerning their needs, the faithful may give alms to the friars. But already in Contra Impugnantes, Thomas mentions the workers in the vineyard are worthy of their payment. For the friars preaching and hearing confessions, this is at least a moral right to be sustained by the faithful. A second controversial point of Contra Impugnantes de Cultum et Religionem often has been overlooked, although it is of high ecclesiological importance. The adversaries criticized that the mendicant friars would not belong to the ordinary ecclesiastical hierarchy entrusted with the cura animarum, the care for the souls, and therefore would have no right to preach, teach, and hear confessions. Thomas argued against them that the Pope is the bishop of the universal church and therefore has jurisdiction to send friars everywhere in the world. Seeing the negligence of many medieval bishops who preferred service at the royal court or even military action, uh, we have a nice example uh, concerning the Dominican Johannes Schadeland, who, when he became bishop of the uh, German uh, diocese uh, of Hildesheim uh, and came uh, to that city, asked uh, the dean of the cathedral where the library was. And the dean led him to the armory, <laughs> telling him this is the sort of library a German bishop needs. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so such things often were preferred to the care for their diocese, uh, and seen also the attitude of many wealthy priests who collected parishes like present-day investors' shares of companies in order to profit from them, leaving the cura animarum to badly trained and paid vicars, one can understand that there was a really urgent need for better formed and more zealous clergy. Thomas saw still another dimension in this controversy. The critics of the mendicants wanted to silence and eliminate them by denying them the study and contemplation of Holy Scripture. What indifference to manual labor is the very backbone of religious life. Compared with William of St. Amour's outrageous uh, De Periculis Novissimorum Temporum, Thomas does not use personal invectives, and even in disagreeing, he remains objective, oriented on arguments. As known from 20th century biographies of St. Thomas Aquinas, his installation as Master of Theology at Paris University was not easy. It was just at the time of a university strike to defend the autonomy of the corporation against the king whose police had killed a student in the course of a riot. Finally, a papal mandate was necessary in order that the Faculty of Theology accepted Bonaventure and Thomas as new masters. The Summa Contra Gentiles, in difference to many other writings, seems not to be fruit of a controversy Thomas had with others, but it definitely is theme of a controversy about its occasion, nature, and intention among present-day scholars. The late father Antoine Gautier of the Leonine Commission, one of the best knowers uh, of the Summa Contra Gentiles, had found out that this work originated towards the end of Thomas's first magisterium at Paris, then uh, was continued in Italy, first with a different ink and then even with different parchment, 
and perhaps even parallelly to the Summa Theologiae, uh, was continued until Thomas uh, returned to Paris uh, and until perhaps uh, at the latest 1271. Thomas cared for its publication by a Paris University bookseller. The title Summa Contra Gentiles originated only about 50 years later in Spain. With this, Gautier's own hypothesis that Thomas wrote it for his own orientation about theology, in the first place natural theology, is not so likely as this cannot explain why Thomas was fond of its publication. Publication in that time, of course, did not mean printing, but meant uh, that a master copy uh, was divided into uh, uh, the different uh, um, uh, parts and uh, lent out to scribes who would copy it yeah, more rapidly than if uh, only one person would copy a whole book. So, until nowadays, it is easier to say what the Summa Contra Gentiles is not than what it is. I will not uh, continue in, into the discussion about its nature and occasion. In 1262, Thomas was assigned as lector to the Dominican Priory at Orvieto. This evidently was not just to teach theology, but soon he was much in demand, especially by Pope Urban IV. Among smaller theological works and the liturgical office of Corpus Christi, uh, from this time we have an opusculum contra errores Gregorum, against the errors of the Greek, from 1263 or begin 1264. And according to the title, it seems to be polemical but once again by a title given to it only later on. Torell characterizes it, I'm quoting, this opusculum is a rather ironical and benevolent exam of a collection of texts by Greek fathers of the church, probably compiled by Nicholas de Lurazzo, giving a, a priori confidence to the Greek fathers Thomas does not contradict them, but tries to find out their true doctrinal content, sometimes obscured by bad comprehension and translation. So far, the quote. When Thomas was sent in 1265 by the Dominican Provincial Council, uh, excuse me, chapter, uh, of which he was a member himself to Rome, in order to open a new Dominican studium there, whereas the order begins severely. In, rem in remissionem peccatorum suorum mitimus fratrem tomam Rome. In remission of his sins, we send uh, Brother Thomas to Rome. It continues with an extraordinary privilege. He could call students normally done by the provincial chapter or prior, and send inferior ones away. Normally, this would be done by agreement of the prior, the lector, and the master of students. So he had full power up to his own judgment. When Thomas Aquinas, presumably after September 14, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, which was the usual begin of the study year, uh, began his lectures. He first took as set book the four books of sentences by Peter Lombard, commenting a second time on them. First time he had done this when he was a baccalaureus in Paris. Um, <clears throat> but after some time, he felt this inadequate. He seized the commentary at Distinction 24 of the first book. We learn this from a preserved reportatio uh, in Oxford Lincoln College Manuscript 95, which has been uh, very enigmatic for 
decennia until uh, Leonard Boyle, uh, yeah, after long research, uh, came to the result that indeed it is uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas' work, and then uh, uh, it was uh, even found out that uh, we have a note uh, by Reginald de Bupin in, in this. Uh, uh, this uh, has been um, uh, Robert, uh, to whom I'm uh, very grateful to uh, have this, uh, to tell me this, and, and he has published it as well. Then Thomas began anew with another form of presenting theology, the Summa Theologiae. In its general preface, Thomas gives a clear reasoning why he left the common and at Paris University prescribed way of teaching systematic theology. I'm quoting from uh, the preface uh, according to the Blackfriars uh, English translation. We have considered how newcomers to this teaching are greatly hindered by various writings on the subject, partly because of the swarm of pointless questions articles and arguments, partly because essential information is given according to the requirements of textual commentary or the occasion of academic debate, not to a sound educational method, partly because the repetitionness has bred boredom and muddle in their thinking. This is a daring critique of the standard of teaching systematic theology for undergraduates, normally the third and fourth year of studies. The background is to be seen in the habitude that this at university was done by the so-called baccalaureate formati, the bachelors in the second half of their duty, the first half being two years teaching uh, fundamental courses on the Bible and the second half uh, being uh, teaching on the sentences or th therefore they were also called sentenziarii and this was an important part of their qualification as master in theology. Thus their interest was to show to the masters who will examine them they knew the most recent state of the art and <coughs> Uh, and uh, not in the first place, place, at least not under pedagogical aspect, called by Thomas a swarm of pointless questions, articles, and arguments. The systematics of Lombard's sentences, they were obliged to comment, did not correspond to the more advanced theology a hundred years later. Only outside of Paris, Thomas could have dared this like his master over the great, 15 years earlier, at Cologne uh, with the Corpus Dionysiacum, which would, would, could not have been uh, taught uh, at Paris University at that time. Um, <clears throat> so we see Thomas wanted to compose a systematic and didactic textbook for theology, and he was so optimistic uh, to close his uh, general uh, preface with the, the, with the words, and uh, with God's help, we hope to do this uh, yeah, uh, within uh, certain limits of time and space. He was too optimistic, as we see nowadays. That Thomas Aquinas has been called to act a second time as master in Paris University often has been seen as motivated by the wish to honor the order's most eminent scholar. I, however, don't agree with this view. What made me doubt and finally discard it is a letter by the Dominican master of the order, uh, John de Vercellis, to Orbe the Great. The general master asks Dominum Albertum, you remark, 
of it is Pichel. Thus, when he uh, <coughs> had to come to Cologne and teach the friars there, what would not be without great use for the archbishop and the citizens of that city. The background is that in 1270, one of the conflicts between the city wanting to extend its independence and Archbishop Engelbert II, who tried to affirm his superiority, had resulted in a battle where Engelbert, as the chronicles say, sword in hand, had been taken prisoner. For this violence against a high prelate, the Pope banned the city by the interdictum, that is, the interdiction of any contact with the city and its citizens and of any um, uh, liturgical uh, uh, function in the city. Orbert, who already before had mediated peace between the Archbishop and the city, was wished as peacemaker again, but could not just be sent to Cologne under interdict. An internal task in Cologne Priory, which as such did not fall under the interdict because the uh, Dominican friars were not citizens, However, this was legitimate, and within a few months, Albert succeeded in mediating between the enemies. What is of importance in our context is just a little subclause. Namely, when some time ago, Albert asked to come to Paris and defend the mendicant's cause at the university there, you can imagine the authority of Albert, not only as a famous scholar, but also as a bishop, would have impressed the enemies of uh, the Dominicans. But this demand did not succeed because Albert could not get the baccalaureus he wished. Thomas Aquinas thus was the second choice, and it was not to honor him, but it was the necessity to defend the order's cause that what was the motive. Indeed, Thomas now met there three simultaneous conflicts in the university. First, the so-called Second Parisian Mendicant Controversy. Secondly, the controversy on how to interpret Aristotle and his philosophy. Thirdly, the opposition of conservative theologians to any use of philosophy in theology. Now to the first. In Paris, there was now a new generation of secular masters in theology. They did no longer negate completely the existence uh, and the right to exist uh, of the friars, but their spokesman, Gerardus de Abatis Villa, had reacted strongly against the claim of the radical Franciscan Thomas of York the state of complete personal and collective poverty alone would be the state of perfection. Thus, even the Pope would be less perfect than any observant friar mile. In a critique called Excepciones and a Sermon from End 1268, Gerardus pointed to the fact that Christ, who without doubt is most perfect, has had had a wallet locally, that's to say, a container for money. Thus, uh, that the uh, and that the Pope who had canonized St. Francis must have been more perfect than St. Francis himself in order to be able to do this. Thomas reacted by question 7, article 2 of his first quarterly bed. Uh, by the way, um, the numbering of the quadlibets is not chronological. And the first quadlibet is just uh, one uh, from the second Parisian uh, uh, teaching period. Mm. Uh, this was uh, held in Easter time, 1269, answering the argument that who prefers pastoral care to contemplation would be less perfect. Up to him, Perfection is found in love, and to give up the sweetness of contemplation out of love 
in order to teach and care for those who have not yet reached the spiritual depth of contemplation, this is an even greater act, and in uh, this case, and out of those motives, more perfect. Uh, a bit later, in the Secunda Secunde of the Summa Theologiae, Thomas would coin for this uh, the words contemplari and aliis contemplata tradere, yeah? to contemplate and uh, trade down to others uh, what has been contemplated. Thus, the bishops who have promised the lifelong pastoral care for their diocese, notwithstanding their possessions, and the mendicant friars who have renounced possessions by their profession, are in the state of perfection. This Thomas restated in his De Perfectione Spiritualis Vitae, but Gerardus was not yet satisfied. In his Questio de Oblatis, the question on the oblates, he accused the mendicants that they would receive little boys, not yet of age, newly converted men, and even former heretics in their communities. Indeed, the minimum age of 18 years for the acceptance of candidates, uh, which we find in the first constitutions, was no longer observed everywhere. Thomas reacted in Quad Libet 4, question 12, article 1 and 2, only if boys would be received before they have reached the age of reasoning, and then, without consent of their parents, this would be illicit. Exception of minor boys, with consent of their parents, however, is illicit, as this uh, gives them a greater chance to familiarize themselves with religious life. Now let's come to uh, the second conflict. Out of Aristotle's works, only some logical books, the Logica Vetus, old logic, had been known in the Occident until late 12th century. And only by the Arabic and Persian philosophy, his philosophy of nature, his metaphysics and ethics became known by translations from the Arabic and only after roughly 1250, also by direct translations from Greek into Latin. The challenge was that now there was a scientific view of the world in its most extreme form, even a complete determinism with a chain of influences from the astronomical bodies down to earthly processes and to the thinking and acting of human beings. For freedom, ethical responsibility, a personal God influencing the course of history and the fate of human beings, there was no place. The first reactions were interdictions. In 1210, the bishops of Sens ecclesiastical province forbade Paris University to teach the Libri Naturalis, the books on philosophy of nature, including metaphysics and ethics. The prohibition uh, was still in vigor in 1229. Such strict bans were not obeyed anymore during the second half of the 13th century. Some central theses were discussed controversially concerning God's power, eternity of the world, the matter of heavens, the determination of what happens on earth by the heavenly bodies, individuality of the intellective soul, relation of soul and body in human beings, and the validity of ecclesiastical moral precepts, and finally, personal ethical responsibility. It would lead too far here to retrace uh, all uh, the, those controversies in detail, uh, but uh, I will just uh, have a short uh, look at the very central uh, question of whether the intellective soul is personal and individual in human beings, or whether there would be 
an instance distinct from the human individuals who would be only receivers yeah, uh, of uh, intellections. Uh, Orbert the Great and Thomas Aquinas alike in their respective De Unitate Anime Intellectiva on the unity of the intellective soul and Thomas then also in his De Judici is Astrom on the judgments about uh, stars and De Eternitate Mundi on the eternity of the world and other writings like the sermon attended to Aphasis Prophetis, beware of false prophets, uh, had as a general line of argumentation both an empirical interpretation against the speculati speculative understanding uh, of Aristotle by Averroes and the Parisian radical Aristotelians. Uh, we have uh, to see that Indeed, uh, the fifth chapter of the third book, The Anima, being less than a page in modern editions and translations, is one of the most enigmatic pieces in the whole history of philosophy. So you could arrive at, uh, let's say, rationalistic interpretation, yeah, with a separation of the intellect, and uh, individual, and you could arrive at a different interpretation, namely a rather empirical one. Hic homo intelligent. This individual uh, man intellects and not a somewhat general instance. For a big part, Aquinas' commentaries on <coughs> many of <coughs> Aristotle's writings were fruit of uh, those controversies about uh, how to understand Aristotle. Uh, uh, Thomas, in uh, his second Parisian magistery and even later in Naples, never uh, taught uh, philosophy himself again. Thomas, however, wanted to show how an Aristotle commentary should look like, not as questiones super ethicam, metaphysicam, and so on, as had become customary since the 1260s, so not singled out uh, questions, yeah, but uh, a literal commentary following the text by the Staggerite, word by word and phrase by phrase, in Latin translation, of course. These commentaries would not have been necessary for Thomas just in order to clarify Aristotle's doctrine for himself, as some scholars have uh, thought. Uh, we have a testimony what Thomas did in such a case, the Tabula Libri Eticorum, Uh, which is just um, yeah, a compilation of uh, important places in Aristotle's ethics, which Thomas evidently made in preparation of his uh, commentary on the ethics and uh, of the relevant parts of the Summa Theologiae. Uh, let's now come... Uh, we still have some time, yeah? Uh, to the uh, third controversy. But Thomas was attacked from the opposite side as well. It is traded down that when Roger Marston, the baccalaureus of the Franciscan master John Peckham, accused him in a disputation, he would have filled the sanctuary of God with the filthy smoke of pagan philosophy. This hurt him so much that he had to cry tears. Finally, we should not forget that above all theological reflection and argumentation, for Thomas there was contemplation of the divine. This we learn most impressively by his experience on St. Nicholas Day, 1273. Now to give you a short uh, 
Fazit. Thomas did not shrink back from controversies when he thought that they were necessary to defend Catholic faith or his order. But he very rarely becomes polemical. Usually, he tries to understand the arguments of his counterparts and to refute them showing their logical shortcomings and using counter-arguments. In this, he remained peaceful, even when attacked in an unfair way as by Roger Marston. This peace came from his basic belief in God's goodness, not deceiving us, and even more from his profound trust in the living God. I thank you for your patience and your attention. Thank you very much for this that. Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, perhaps do you have it in, in um, recall? Um, Thomas, at his inception, mm -hmm. had a choice of topics. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, as you said, probably because of the desire to bring in the mendicants initially during the strike and then to establish these keep these chairs. <clears throat> At least for those reasons, there was a great deal of controversy about acknowledging him and letting him incept. And as I recall, there were even uh, arrows shot into the cloister. So I'm, we have a letter, if I recall, from a pope uh, asking the bishop to look into the people who were beat up on the mm -hmm. way to the disputation. Uh, but Thomas had a choice of topics. Mm -hmm. And if I remember, was his, to his topic had also something to do with the... Regans Montes de Superioribus Suis. That's the Principium, mm -hmm. right? And it had to do with the, the right of the mendicants to teach at the university. Right? I think that. Um, it, it, this is not directly on the right to teach. This is just presupposed already. Uh, but it is a, a, a description of the task of the theologian. Uh, so the, uh, the rain comes on the mountains, yeah, and flowing down from the mountains, uh, it uh, gives life to uh, the plants which are in, in, on the plain. Yeah? Uh, when you have been to Roca Seca, as many of uh, the students uh, among you, uh, you can immediately catch this by the view which you have from the church of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas at the foot of the castle. Yeah? Uh, Thomas gives to this a symbolic sense. Uh, the divine uh, scripture and knowledge about the divine comes down from heaven and is uh, captivated first uh, by uh, the hierarchy of the church and then by the theologians who uh, uh, in a way guide it down to the plain to the ordinary people so theology is not uh, something you would just do for itself this is contemplation yeah? but theology is a service uh, for the people of God this uh, roughly is the basic idea of the Principium. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your very good talk. Um, I wasn't clear about, on your distinction about polemics. You said Thomas was not political, but he showed a lot of flaws in his opponents. Uh, excuse me, louder, please. I couldn't understand I you can, I can repeat. Uh, physically. Let, uh, let me repeat. He said, um, on the one hand, you say that Thomas is not polemical, but you mm. say that he points out the flaws in uh, his opponent's position mm. and offers uh, counter-arguments. Is that not polemicism, is the question? No. Uh, 
you see the, uh, the difference between polemics and argumentation is just that the argumentation is centered on the theme and uh, that it is yeah, the, uh, uh, the tentative uh, to make it clear what are the logical uh, and metaphysical and theological implications of a certain theme. Polemics is uh, just yeah, to, um, yeah, to use rhetorical means and not to argue. Yeah? One of the very few uh, polemic, perhaps the most known, uh, polemical um, uh, texts is in the fifth chapter of the um, Unitate Intellectus. There uh, Thomas has it that those who teach uh, little boys who are not yet able to judge on such things in, in remote, closed places should come to the public disputation in the faculty and there uh, there would be uh, uh, yeah, uh, people who would refute them. Yeah? Background is the uh, faculty of arts which was the preparatory faculty for the higher faculties, uh, consisted of the schools of different masters, and usually each master had uh, in his school, uh, which was not public to, to others, but only to his own pupils, yeah, uh, his pupils whom he taught. And uh, when somebody uh, teaches questions yeah, on Aristotle's uh, works in such a context, yeah, the 14, 15 year old boys who would hear that yeah, would not yet be able to uh, judge on it. Yeah? So even in this polemical um, phrase, uh, Thomas has an argumentative background. So, later on, he developed this uh, uh, to that point that uh, poverty is an instrument for perfection, not the only possible one, but the very uh, specific instrument of the friars uh, to arrive at the status perfectionis. Yeah? 
this, uh, Thomas, and I think uh, the basics are already in, in uh, this early writing. Yeah? Uh, the Franciscan view developed in a somewhat different way. Uh, St. Francis and St. Bonaventure were very much impressed by a famous quotation from St. Jerome, Nudus nudum Christum sequi. Naked follow the naked Christ. Yeah, in that time, they said no uh, erotic conversations. Yeah? Uh, so, utter uh, uh, poverty was considered an evangelical perfection in itself, and by the most radical Franciscans, no, the Franciscan order soon had uh, uh, quite uh, some uh, discord about this. Uh, it was therefore something you would have to demand from all Christians, not only the friars, because otherwise they could not reach perfection uh, and could not be saved. Yeah? Uh, uh, Thomas's uh, uh, theology was much more open yet yeah, to give a place also to other ways and other uh, uh, instruments of perfection although he insists on this uh, that the religious life is the most sure way to heaven does this answer your question?